You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today we've got the penultimate episode from the Edinburgh Fringe shows recorded last year at the Gilded Balloon. This are the... This are... (laughs) This is... They are the absolutely brilliant Max and Ivan. Hello, hello, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming, guys. Thank you for having us. Um, Do take that out of the thing, and then uh, Ivan can occasionally have a pop on that. Hello. Hiya. Nailing Um, it. So, uh, just for the benefit of anyone here who hasn't uh, seen your meteoric rise uh, or any of your work, um, can you just tell us what what your show is? What sort of thing do you do? Yeah, um, so we're a comedy double act, and, and we tend to perform sort of narrative character based shows um, which feature kind of sketch like bits but tend to tend to tell some kind of story over the course of an hour at least that's the idea um, and yeah featuring various characters and kind of interweaving plot lines and things uh, all coming to some sort of culmination at the end of it all yeah we started um, our narrative journey uh, two years ago with Holmes and Watson this and sounds like a reality TV show yeah. your narrative journey <laughs> our narrative journey how is your dream <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and last year we did uh, a heist thriller um, mm-hmm. called Con Artist, and this year we kind of took it down a bit, um, less explosions and adventures, and it's basically a love story. Sure. So your show's called The Reunion, yeah. and was that a deliberate, when you say you took it down a bit, was that um, uh, a conscious attempt to give it, the thing I keep reading in all of your, your reviews is that you now have more room to breathe. Because I saw the I saw the con artist show yeah. and it was tremendous fun and there was a great bit with laser pens when you were kind of breaking into a place yeah it was really good fun I saw it in Melbourne where you were nominated for the Barry Award and uh, which is their equivalent of uh, uh, I was going to say Perrier that's hopelessly outdated their equivalent of the Edinburgh Comedy Award formerly known as formerly known as um, and that had loads and loads of sort of rambunctious leaping around sweaty quick character change fun so was it a deliberate decision to do something different. Uh, sort of. I think what it was. Oh, we, we should say for people, it's a it's a school reunion, is there? Yeah. Is so yeah, it's called the reunion. It's it's based on a school reunion, the class of two thousand and three, um, coming back together for their ten year school reunion, and we played those sort of the entire school year, and all the teachers and friends and lovers and enemies and things all kind of reuniting for one night. Um, I think what it was was a conscious decision to move away 
from what seemed to be perceived as genre parody things, which mm-hmm. hadn't really been anything we'd thought about. We just thought about worlds that we'd like to inhabit, and we thought a heist would be a fun place, and you've got lots of characters you can play around with. Um, but we, but, um, but yeah, we wanted to to tell a story that was entirely more grounded in reality than anything that we'd done before. And um, and we and I I got a Facebook message from someone I went to school with mm-hmm. saying, "Hey guys, I've just realised it's ten years since we've all done our GCSEs. Why don't we Why don't we do this?" And then um, and so they were suggesting a, a school reunion. Uh, at which point, it, on one of those Facebook group message things where friends can invite other friends into the conversation, so you started seeing all these sort of old social groups that you'd long forgotten about mm-hmm. sort of reforming. And very vividly, you could see that, like, you know, Sophie Thompson was inviting Carly Morris and Kelly Campbell. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. They used to hang around. And then suddenly, you could see this entire sort of school year vividly reforming. And then... Facebook's one of those things whereby you can look at people, even if you don't talk to them, you, you know, they added you as a friend ages ago and suddenly you've got these kind of people from your past and you can see some of them have got married, sure. some of them have had kids, some of them have changed genders or whatever. So not actually hasn't happened but <laughs> that I know of, but it would be, but yeah, but we, but we just started kind of toying around with this, this idea of a school reunion. Um, and yeah, and we wondered, and, and we thought if we did it, it would have to have a more, a more human kind of core mm. to the whole thread of the show than uh, you know a big heightened uh, sort of 1920s Sherlock Holmesian romp or a or something a, or, with killer or, or, robots or, or a lasery heist sure. thriller set in Las Vegas. Um, and that was the sort of challenge that we set ourselves. Do you think this is your best show? Do you think it's appropriate that this is the one that's got nominated for the, the Edinburgh Award? I think it's our best show. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I love it so much, and it's just been so much fun to perform every night. And and to 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 get laughs from an audience is amazing, but to to get people um, crying, which has happened, sure. um, is amazing. And and to get those gasps when things happen, and uh, you know that they're, they're all hanging on the edge of their seats, going, "No, sure. we we want this character to." We want there to be a happy ending, and we want this to happen. And sure. Yeah. It's it's, just, I tell you what's I, what intrigues me about your show is that you're. I'm reacting to it as I think a lot of audience members are, as if it's proper theatre. Probably more so. I'm probably feeling more about your show than and I as a as a, an ex failed actor. I I don't go and see theatre anymore. I've shrugged <laughs> it off. But I. The theatre I do remember seeing, I just it's it sort of seemed impenetrable, and yet you are kind of doing it stupidly, but I'm really emotionally engaged with it. You know the characters that you've got, we've, you know Brian, this sort of character who's riddled with every allergy and disease under the under the sun, is kind of a cartoon character, and yet we're all engaged with you, you know, as much as if we were watching proper theatre. This is time for me to crowbar in my favourite uh, piece of theatre that the universe has ever conceived, which is, of course, Jerusalem by Jez Butterworth, which you must all go and see at some point in your lives because it's a monumental work of art. Um, but the point is, um, I, I went to see it, and the, one, of the reason, one of the many reasons why it's so amazingly brilliant, and I'm not comparing our show to it in the slightest, but the technique... Too late! The techni- You've already compared The techniques that he uses is it starts off as a broad farce and like the first 45 minutes you're just laughing and there's lots of crude jokes and a bit of smut and some pop culture references and it's very broad and then over the course of the next two hours it turns into a kind of metaphysical mystical sort of tragedy and and hymn to the English countryside Mm -hmm. Um, but because your defences are down at the start and you just let yourself laugh and you kind of give yourself over to it by the end you know you're you're in bits and you're a wreck Mm. Um, and I just think you can, yeah, I think if you can make people laugh, then that's the hardest emotion to kind of, to get them 
get them feeling and you mm -hmm. can and everything else can kind of come after that so yeah we wanted to we yeah the aim was to have a character that or a series of characters that people could people could care about mm. um and uh, and yeah which we've been which we've been delighted with i think people have been um and brian um was one of the first characters we ever wrote for some reason and okay. and uh, this is many moons ago so uh, max and i met at university um and uh, it was there that we went up to edinburgh for the first time in the in the worst play uh, i've i've ever been in name the play um, it's called rose gets shot <laughs> nice okay and it was a film noir um uh, performance in which we were all in black and white makeup for the benefit of the listener uh, max is hanging his head in shame yeah it it was terrible somehow we managed to get scotsman pick nice. of the week i don't know how <laughs> it really did. Um, but whilst we were here, we just um, fell in love with the festival and we started writing um, comedy. I'm just going to go back to Rose Gets Shot because uh, <laughs> because um, it was it was directed and, and written by this completely lazy uh, woman. And she was and, and like the script didn't exist, but she was like, oh, I've come up with this thing at the end where uh, where there are these like letters and it's going to uh, we've worked out it like be an anagram um, and that'll be the big reveal. And we all stood around and we were like, that, that's not actually an anagram. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, R Rose gets shot. It's an anagram of to get her. And, and we said, no, that there are still two S's and a full stop. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, but I'm dyslexic, aren't I? Wow. Well, well actually, no, we, we yeah, so, so in the, my line, uh, I was the, playing a detective and I had to look at this, <laughs> um, look at this letter that said, Rose gets shot, and I put the uh, letters in order and I went, to get her, S-S. <laughs> and then the, the final O, stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the letters became a punctuation. Um, okay, so was that, so have you, I mean... Do you have positive experiences of theatre? Obviously, you mentioned Jerusalem. Or was Ab it in absolutely. doing that that you thought, well, I mean, this is risible? Whilst we, whilst we were uh, performing this, I mean, we, we, we came up to Edinburgh. We, we were in this terrible show every day, an hour long. We just did it as a job. Um, straight after us were a theatre company from uh, Warwick University called Dumb Show. Um, mm -hmm. And they were doing a show called To the End of the World. And they're doing a show right now um, called The Pearl, okay. based on Steinbeck's novel. It's, it's amazing. And they are such a beautiful theatre company. And we saw that. And it was the polar opposite of what we were doing. Uh, they transported us into this amazing world. And it was just beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. And, uh, well, that made me quite upset that we were doing this Shit sure. fest, but um, <laughs> um, but whilst we were in Edinburgh, we just um, uh, we just there was so much creativity that we that we started writing, and we ended up writing six forty-five-minute radio episodes in okay. the month somehow. Speculatively, uh, we no. So speculatively means um, yeah. did we did we know uh, did they have a home or did we just write them for fun? Okay. Um, <laughs> Nice save. Uh, yes, that's all right, champ. Um, yes. I'm going to throw in more long words yeah. now to see how no. many uh, <laughs> everyone gets. <laughs> the flicker of fear. Uh, no, they, had, they sort of had a home. Basically, uh, Insanity is the student radio station that, that we had at the time, and, and we just asked this bloke if we could write okay. a radio show. We didn't really know how any of it worked, and he was like, yeah, sure. And then we were like, 45-minute episodes? And he was like, yeah, fine. And there, yeah, somehow, in amongst the, the, the nonsense and the madness of, of, of our first ever Edinburgh Fringe experience, yeah, we wrote like four and a half hours worth of scripted comedy, um, which we then recorded when we got back to, back to England, which is t 
to this day, I think probably the most productive we've ever been by about 700%. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I forget why we started talking about that. But, um, but Brian, uh, the character yeah. who's in our show, um, was, was, in that, was in that radio series. Okay. And we, um, I don't know why, but we, we, we kept um, in the expotainment zone. Do you not remember? Craig Come on, Craig Max, we all Brian. remember the expotainment zone. <laughs> Craig, Craig and Brian. Um, there, was the, there was this horrible um, relationship. Um, uh, Max played this guy, Craig, who was um, uh, completely besotted with himself. And, okay. and, and Brian was this just lovable, okay. um, disease-ridden um, character who just had nothing but love for Craig. Okay. And so um, over the series, this, it, it built up and there were just horrible scenarios. Are you... Are you good actors? Do you think that you are good actors? Or are you getting away with kind of daft acting because we're within the sphere of comedy? I think it's, it'd be awful to just sit there and go, we are good actors. We are good actors. <laughs> we are very good actors. But no, um, I, I think, fuck it, I think we are. And, yeah, that's what and, we want, come on. And... Um, what I've what I've loved is is seeing in reviews and people talking about how wonderful Max plays a girl. Yes, that and, is that is very. And it's very not good. played for laughs. Sure, he plays um, this this beautiful character, and everyone completely just gets on board with the fact that he's a woman, and 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 th- this is just this love story that's going through. And in fact, we were thinking about uh, ending the show with a kiss. Mm. Uh, because it would have been a wonderful way to finish, but then we thought that's going to take people out of this world, sure. and they're suddenly going to go, "Oh, it's two guys kissing." Sure. But at some points, I think there, there, there have been a couple of shows in which, had that kiss happened, they would have just completely carried on going with it. Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the, the process of creating the show because I know you were directed by Tom Parry yes yes and we're, we're, a lot of us are familiar with Tom's work as a member of Pappy's lovely Tom and I think there are I mean I, I sort of th- thought afterwards that Tom's kind of fingerprints feel like Tom's awesome fingerprints feel like they're all over your show because He's very I mean, handsy yeah <laughs> sure um, because what what um, kind of knocked Pappies into a bigger league last year was the fact that their show went they went for emotion rather they went for dicking about with emotion rather than just dicking about mm. and it seems like you've made a similar decision so tell us about Tom's involvement and how much of what came from who well, um, he was, he's A, he's been absolutely fantastic. It's the first time that we've been directed by Tom. Um, the previous two shows were directed by the deeply wonderful Jessica Ransom, uh, who was too busy to direct us this year. And we were, we were, we were a bit gutted um, hmm. at that point when we realized that we, that we weren't going to have her and we kind of felt a bit adrift. So, yeah, we're delighted to get, uh, to get Tom on board. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we came to him... Um, after Melbourne with with the show structure and we you know we mm-hmm. said this is the journey we want to take people on okay um it wasn't him saying i think you should go for the emotional mm-hmm. angle or anything like that uh, we we definitely came with this thing and we wrote we wrote the the very first version of the show without any of his input we did it in uh, brighton at the end of may and then and then he shouted at us for not having booked in enough previews. Mm-hmm. Um, we had about nine, and, and he said that Pappy's did about 20, 27 or mm-hmm. something. So we booked in 25 previews in two months, and, and, then, he, and then he was instrumental in the shaping of this mm-hmm. very loose 
thing that we had into this lovely tight hour. And you listen to, I mean, I've, I've listened to Pappy's um, interview here and things. And you, you, you obviously, if you see Pappy's perform, Tom is this disruptive force and this kind of loose cannon. He's got this maverick sort of energy about him, um, which is uh, very compelling to watch as a performer. But we didn't know as a director whether that, what that would mean, what that mm. would translate into. But it turns out he's an absolute technician and very much sure. all of his notes are framed by the structure of the show and what should go where and why and how to get the most out of each gag and things. And he's, and he's so, yeah, so technically minded sure. and so much sort of stagecraft and things go into the way that he thinks about the show. So all, which must mean that all of the, you know, everything Pappy's does is, you know, probably with the exception of their advocate shows, uh, is carefully thought about sure. and, and pre-planned and crafted. I know, I know Tom has a preoccupation with, that he often says, I've, I've heard him say socially that, um, that the mistake a lot of shows make is to try and make audiences laugh and think. And what he feels you should do is try to make audiences laugh and feel. And that seemed to me, that really, that kind of was very clear in my head when I was watching your show going, oh, that's great. I'm not, I'm, there's no kind of message here, but you've gone for a sort of an archetypal love story that I'm engaged with. And so it's sort of uncluttered. Meaning, meaning wise. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, we've never, I mean, yeah, we've never, we've always been interested in, in telling stories involving characters and we've never, yeah, there's no, we've never been polemicists. We've never had a sort of, you know, a kind of, What's that mean, mate? Uh, it's, it's, it's like a, taking an extreme point of view within an argument cool. and kind of really pushing, pushing that through. As you can see, we've never been polemicists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're interested in telling simple stories that Ivan can learn and then perform. <laughs> um, when we did Holmes and Watson, uh, Max was quite insistent that I maybe should read some of the Holmes and Watson. Um, One stage. <laughs> I, I didn't even bother watching the films. Um, he gave me all the audio books, but I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't give that a try either. <laughs> Don't stress your brain out, champ, you know. So this is Max in a van. I mean, obviously, they're incredibly nice guys. They're super talented. Their show, The Reunion, was absolutely sensational. You just want to slap them, really. They're in uh, they're in Melbourne at the moment. Oh, probably by the time you hear this, they'll have just come back from Melbourne, uh, where I'm sure they had a fantastic time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, great stuff hearing from them. This is just going to be a very quick blurb from me. You'll all be relieved to know. Um, just to let you know that I am away at the moment. I'm going to try and get episode 74 to you, which will be the final episode with the wonderful Claudio Doherty. Uh, we're going to try and get that out on time next week, uh, same time next week, Wednesday, or occasionally Thursday, if we have to. Um, and then probably we'll have a gap. There'll be a week's pause before... Uh, episode 75 just because I'm traveling because I'm off to New Zealand if you're in New Zealand if you're anywhere near Auckland or Wellington or can get yourself to either of those places do come and see my show there uh, it's called He Wolf uh, and is my new uh, hour-long show that I'm going to be doing in New Zealand for three weeks, then taking up to Edinburgh. James Acaster is going to be there as well. Uh, Sarah Pascoe, John Robbins. Uh, there's some fabulous guys doing the big show. Michael Legg will be there. John Godillo. Uh, and too many to mention. Apologies to anyone I've forgotten. Chris Martin and Carl Donnelly, of course, will be out there doing their... Um, uh, doing their shows and their podcast. Uh, and I will be doing a Comedian's Comedian with Kerry Marks. Uh, I'm going all the way to New Zealand to interview someone who lives four miles away from me. Um, but uh, he's obviously exciting and international out there, so why not do someone really exciting? Uh, and I've wanted to do Kerry for ages. I uh, nearly uh, did a podcast with him uh, last year, early last year sometime when we were doing the skiing gigs. Might even have been two years ago. 
Um, so I've had some brilliant conversations with Kerry, really got his head screwed on about comedy, has got some fan- fascinating views on uh, on offensiveness in comedy, many of which I'm fairly sure from our last conversation I disagree with. So hopefully sparks will fly. I'm sure that'll be an interesting conversation. Um, so you can come along and see that at the Classic in uh, Auckland, brilliant year-round comedy club in Auckland. Um, that is on in a few weeks. Check the internet for details, really. I don't have the details in front of me, which is ridiculous given the autonomy in creating a postcard, a postcard podcast. Christ on a bike. <laughs> this is what happens when I try and rush this because I've got a lot on. Um, I'm sorry. I don't want you to feel like I'm rushing our time together. Although I know that from your point of view, our time together really doesn't consist of these bits. Anyway, where was I? Yes, come and see He Wolf. Um, in New Zealand, uh, I will be recording a live episode with Kerry Marks, and I'm also going to try and grab a bunch of other Kiwi comics while I'm over there because there's there's such uh, an amount of talent over there, a huge amount of talent um, that I would like to make you aware of, particularly if you're listening in Britain, so that when those guys come over here uh, for the Edinburgh Festival, you can know who they are in advance. It's just uh, trying to do my bit in bringing new stuff to you that you won't have heard of. So that's all of that. Um, thank you for sending in your hashtag all show no business ideas. We've had some lovely ones of those. We'll go into them in a bit more detail uh, next week, maybe award some sort of rubbish prize. Um, I think that's everything I need to say. I feel like there's something I've forgotten. Normally I read this bit off a bit of paper, having uh, written it all down in advance, but I didn't do that this time. I thought, no, I'll, I'll just wing it. I'll be fine. I'm not fine. I can't remember what else I'm supposed to be advertising. It's something... Two things in New Zealand. Come on, that's obvious. And what's the... I've run out of steam completely now. If I remember it, I'll get back to you. Oh, that's it! Of course, oh my God, of course. We're doing Edinburgh. We're doing an Edinburgh one. We're doing five shows at Bob's Bookshop um, next year. I might do more when I'm up there around people's houses. Sorry you had to sit through that bit while I remember what I'm talking about. Um, it's like it's like someone someone telling you, oh, I had this fascinating dream last night. Yeah, really? Please don't bore me with the details. Um, we're doing five shows in Bob's Bookshop, which is on the Heroes of Fringe uh, one of the four free fringes, and uh, that's going to be at 11 o'clock um, on five different nights. So the 10th, I think, and then 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th of August. I don't know who I'm going to get for those yet. I've got a feeling Phil K is going to be one of them. Um, I wanted to do Phil for a long time. Uh, and there's a couple of other ideas I've got floating around for those. If you'd like to suggest any, you can tweet me at ComComPod or email me info at comedianscomedian.com. I like it when people get in touch with me via those methods because it means they're listeners of the podcast rather than uh, people, like PR people, who just like going, hey, take my act, take my act. And so if you can get some suggestions in, that'd be great. And that is everything I need to say. Thank you for bearing with me. Let's get back to the brilliant Max in Ivan. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
let's talk about your dynamic as a as a double act. How much of what we're seeing now reflects the the truth of your situation? Too much. This is all true. We're not okay. Not this is a documentary type situation. This is this is for posterity. Okay. Yeah. Because it, what it what it seems like from the outside, it seems like you are the kind of debonair. I mean, you know, for the benefit of the listener, you appear to have a knitted tie even. I do have which a knitted is, tie? There we go. Absolutely. So you know, you dress like a dandy and you wear a lot of jumpers. That's a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah. So is that how much of your how much of what your dynamic how much of your dynamic as a double act now was there when you started working together? Um I don't know. Well I mean I don't think our, our dynamic isn't down to my knitted ties and Evan's jumpers. Um so that's I mean, in fact we've probably changed the 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 clothes that we wear at that that's sort of incidental. But the, the I suppose the we've I mean we've always had a similar core, like, performing dynamic that's kind of bounced off between us. We've always played different status characters together and made them clash off one another. We started, um, we started working together when I was... Uh, I, I saw Evan do some solo character comedy at university, and then I went off on tour uh, wrestling around Italy for a weekend, and I couldn't speak Italian, so I was very bored uh, and mm -hmm. a bit depressed. Uh, but I had, this, I had this sort of weird notion of writing a, a, a character that would be complementary to Evan's, uh, and then and it was a kind of Argentinian kind of folk singer sort of character okay. based on Ivan's extraordinary dad, Enrique. And uh, But yeah, I, I wrote this other character and then I even wrote a song. And then I sort of came back uh, from, from my weekend wrestling in Italy and knocked on his halls of residence and said, hello, mate, I've uh, written this thing. Do you want to give it a bash? And um, yeah, w I had a gig booked in for a few weeks down the line. Um, it was the second ever gig I'd done. And, and I said, well, that's lucky because I've not written anything. So, yeah, absolutely. Come on board. And since then, Max has written the rest. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK, because I remember I've, I've been in a few double acts myself. The last double act I was in was with Richard Sandling, Indeed. where the dynamic kind of grew kiosk out of, of champions. Thank you. Um, the, uh, uh, the dynamic grew out a of the fact. kiosk is basically. A <laughs> <laughs> the dynamic grew out of the fact that I was kind of or, or what it became was I was the sort of mainstream, handsome kind of uh, Lothario, whereas he was a 35 year old man that lives with his mum. And that was kind of based on truth, although I may have aged him slightly. Um, but um, about that, that was, that was the kind of the surface dynamic. That was what we saw on stage. That was what we saw played out. Those were the notes we decided to play up. Um, so in terms, it's fascinating to me. It sounds like what happens is that you have an idea, tell him you're doing it, write it, and then kind of carry him. Is that, is to, how much, how much the, of that uh, is true? This is the abrasive, interrogative, Goldsmith interview style he warned us about at the start. <laughs> Don't let it split us up, Ivan. We've got three more shows. We've almost survived the month. Uh, definitely three of the ideas that I had were in the show, so. <laughs> I, how, much of, how much of this is true? Um, I've, we, I will, we've not assessed, uh, we, uh, we've not gone through, you know, line by line and worked out who's, Who's thought of what? Uh, um, the, the homes and I'm, and the I'm homes not suggesting for a minute that the fact that, say, one of you were to do more work would mean you were any less of a double act, because obviously we know from other creative environments that one can't exist without the other. Well, I mean, Max is the one who types the script. <laughs> that, that was my role. <laughs> nice. He's the one who works at the computer, and I kind of lie on the bed. And I'm um, like, yeah, yeah. I, lo I love that, that there's even a good. bed in your writing <laughs> room. That's there's a bed. There's a bed. <laughs> Um, but no, I think, I, th I mean, we, we try 
and come up we, we come up with broad ideas to begin with set pieces um the very first um idea we had for this show was um the geography scene um mm-hmm. in which is a, a highly sexually charged um uh, conversation with uh, with just geography uh, i don't know why we picked on geography because neither of us did geography gcse but sure. we just felt um that that was the way to go i think it's probably the sexiest of the core subjects <laughs> so the, and then that's it's a brilliant scene in which a mature student is chatting up her ex-teacher yeah and they're talking in ge- in geographic terms absolutely um, and I'm not. I'm trying to think who whose idea that was. Um, but we, we've got some. Was that okay? It was Max's. <laughs> fine. Um, but another another one is 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 a clash of um, uh, uh, is a, a musical instrument fight, um, which incorporates a sketch that we wrote a while ago, uh, which was based on an air guitar championship. Okay. Um, and did you? Uh I think I came up with the air guitar sketch, so uh, I'm going to take that one. Okay. But I, no, I mean, what, what, what I'm trying to say is that we come up with ridiculous ideas, <laughs> we bounce off each other, and then Max says if we're allowed to use them or not. Okay, okay. <laughs> and is, that, is, that, is that right? That broadly represents the... Uh... Maybe. I mean, we, we, always, we always write together. Like, I know Pappy's have a two-man mm-hmm. system, uh, and the Pythons used to all hate each other or something, but we've, we always like write the, everything the entire show and like it would take we'd have to be really close to the wire or a deadline for us to write separately and email okay. like email stuff across that's never how we prefer to um to work so even sure. yeah and even yeah I, i'll tend to do mo- like the majority of the typing due to my extraordinary word speed mm-hmm. but um but no we're kind of you know we'll sit in the room and, and i i mean we both prefer it, Ideally, getting away from the computer is the best thing at the, at, the, sure. at the start. And, you know, just bits, you know, infinite bits of paper or post-it notes on a thing, get, like sorting out the, st- the structure of the show. It's very, okay. it's, it's, you know. It's so you start, you start with the set pieces and then get a sense of what story might contain those? Sort of. I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, cre- cre- blah, creating an hour-long show, you kind of need to... At the very start, it's like this massive sort of edifice and you sort of just tackle it from kind of any angle you can and you just try and make as many inroads as you can from any any mm-hmm. sort of side. So we, yeah, so we kind of simultaneously s- sat in our in our room in, in Melbourne and discussed how, you know, who who out of the people we remember going to school with, who would be a central figure, how many central figures we could have, how many different kind of mm-hmm. threads we could weave together in the course of that hour, what, where we might want to end up at the end, and then, yeah, then, then onto the sort of big scene. I think the way we've, um, we've adjusted the way we write uh, over the past few years, because um, uh, I think I remember with Holmes and Watson, we just wrote the first 15 minutes, and we were like, oh, this is brilliant, this is so much fun. And then, and then we thought, okay, we're here now what the hell do we do and Mm. we kind of just kept writing in a certain direction we didn't really have a clue how it was going to end or where it was going Mm. and then suddenly it made sense and then you could take a step back from it and go actually if we do these changes here here and here in the end moriarty shed his bulletproof skin and (laughs) al capone's bomb went off and then everyone died so (laughs) so we got there in the end you guys don't worry when you you look back on it like that it seems natural (laughs) yeah so are you are you neat are you writing the whole show before you perform any of the show well this time around because of where the melbourne comedy festival fell within our year normally and then we knew it would be there normally we'd start in december or january Mm. kind of starting to write the first the the beginnings of the show and then you can when you've got 10 minutes you can you may as well preview them around 
around in various places and then you get to that tricky bit where you've got like half an hour or 40 minutes and it's like either you don't or you book or you split mm-hmm. an hour or something but this time because of that because melbourne was sort of there at the time when we'd normally be doing the start of the show we ended up writing the whole thing and just getting back and yeah and then after the the crack of the whip from parry just went into this rigorous full-on hour preview sort of mode which was pretty full-on it, it was full-on but it was ridiculously brilliant for us I, I find it um to do to do the full hour in front of an audience and then you can see exactly what worked and what didn't and then and then you can work on it um with 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 parry's amazing notes and then do the hour again mm-hmm. um in front of an audience i think mm-hmm. it's, it's really important to keep working in front of the audience because we go yeah this is funny oh yeah that'll definitely work well i mean we've got a, a secret ending to the show mm-hmm. and um Throughout all of our previews, um, we finished without that ending. Okay, and then um, um, <laughs> because um, because you wanted to keep it secret. No, just just because it wasn't logistically ready. impossible okay, to uh, to happen. Like we can't drive to Cardiff. Yeah, it was just we just we were relying on it. We knew we had it there, uh, but mm-hmm. we were just relying on it on it mm-hmm. working. So that was the one thing that we kept going. Okay, that I'm sure that will work. Okay. and luckily it did. Okay, um, and it pulled off, but. Apart from that, we, we, we like to test everything out in front of audiences and, and see what feels right. And then as you're performing, you tend to adjust the, the show itself. Sure. Something I really like that I only realised in retrospect is you don't do any fake corpsing. You know, that you might be familiar yeah. with this from other sketch shows when, and it's something that Clang did loads of and Pappies then did for a while. I, I mean, I'm talking about corpsing rather than fake corpsing. Yeah. Whereby you're making each other laugh on stage and you sort of leave that in because cause it's fun and boisterous and all the rest of it. And something I've seen in the wake of both Clang and later Pappies mm. is a lot of other kind of sketch groups kind of go, <laughs> oh, you guys, <laughs> like that, and sort of play with that. There's something very clean about your work that you kind of keep it simple and each idea has its own moment luckily we've never found each other funny so um that's a real a real boon when it comes to no um no what we we've discussed it before i think i think in our formative years when we were at university when we're doing shows there were a few where we'd where we'd have uh where where you'd build in these 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 rooms these bits for corporating but what we discovered very quickly is that audiences are not stupid and there's something there's something is re- there's something really genuinely magical about when something goes totally wrong and someone cracks and it's all there and there's this wonderful intimate moment and it's brilliant and there's something incredibly hollow and cynical and shit about trying to recreate it the next day sure. all the timing feels forced and it just becomes it becomes the complete opposite of that of that first moment. So we basically agreed from then on not to have anything. And if something does, you know, if, if something, no, just sure. be natural. If something happens, let then then fine. And you could like always have fun with the show. Always enjoy doing it. Always mm. muck around with it. Um, if something does go wrong, that doesn't that doesn't ruin the the, the rhythm or the flow sure. or the arc. But definitely don't have a bit where. Fingers crossed, you're so funny that I f- fluff my lines and then sure. we have a bit of a matey and jokey moment sure. tonight. That there, would be nice. Are there other, are there other principles and did you, uh, that you've kind of gone, right, we don't do this, we don't do this? I wonder. I'm to think. Well, okay, there's another way of asking. With on. this show, we, we had a principle that we didn't want to go down the... We definitely didn't want to do what felt like the most obvious gag of pervy teacher and young boy type sure. the, like dodgy teacher thing so we wanted to make sure that in the geography sketch for example she was a mature student so that yeah. it was an equal relationship 
Um, I think we, we've got a couple of moments of audience interaction um, that are quite carefully scripted into the show. And um, I think what we really wanted to do was was make that audience member feel like a hero. Absolutely. And you really do that as well. You're not taking advantage of the audience member. Because, that. I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy to get someone up on stage and make them feel like a dick and have people laugh at them. And that's just horrible. Um, but what we and want hugely to... successful, yes, as well. And I, well, I'm, I'm, I say that because I really approved of it. I felt it like you had really good quality control. Not that it's you know my place to approve of anything, but I remember thinking, nice one. You're giving that to the audience member. You're let. It's like you go, here's an offer, and they can kind of take it to what extent they want. And ideally, what you want is they overreach themselves yeah. and and are surprised by what they do, and then it's lovely, it's... as opposed to. Do something feminine and, you know, everyone laughs. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lovely moment in the show and, and um, we've had a lot of people say, is that a plant? Was that, you know, are they, mm. are they supposed to do this and that? Um, and, it's, and it's great when they do something completely unexpected. Um, but I, I, I take the first 10 or 15 minutes uh, whilst we're doing the show to carefully gauge my front row and pick that right person who I mm. think is going to be the good Sure. The good person um, that's going to do the ridiculous things. Sure. And normally, the 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 guy who's enjoying the show the most and is and is quite visibly having a good time. Because mm -hmm. if someone if someone's sat there sour face going, oh, this is horrible, and then I bring them on stage, then they're clearly not going to want to sure. play ball. But if they're having a good time, then you know they're, they're sure. going to be free to to do that. Well, we're on the subject of tropes of sketch shows. Um, and this is something I often ask in, uh, I often enjoy asking stand-ups. What things are there that you see in sketch that you hate? I'll explain trope later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things that you hate. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to start dishing out like punitive sentences on things that I, we don't like in sketch. I don't know what. Um, I think we, uh, we've and we've done a few in the past. Yeah. I think. Okay. Um, well, that's another way of doing. What have up, you done in the past that you're that ashamed of? Um, Oh God, that's another hour. Um, I sort of slightly glaze over if I hear a straight up pop song with the words changed, which is a thing sure. that, that happens. I think I'm not afraid to, to put that out there. <laughs> um, we, we have been victims of this, uh, the nude sketch. Yep. Um, I mean, it's a, when you say you've been victims of it, you've done we've, it. We've done it. Yeah, okay. we have. I, uh, there was um, a show in which I came out fully nude and there was two less than 10-year-olds on the front row. Um, I think that's actually illegal what yeah. you've done there. <laughs> I can bleep this later. Ivan also had a Union Jack flag inserted in his anus. Wow. Um, I, must, I must say, though, that our, that our venue technician's cousins, and she had seen the show about 15 times. <laughs> Didn't and we them. said, are you sure they should be in the audience? Because you know what's coming up. And, they, and she was like, yeah, they're going to have to learn somehow. Wow. <laughs> and what a formative experience that was. About a chubby naked man with a flag in his ass. Um, yeah, so, so we've kind of... And, uh, you know, occasionally... Uh, like I, I mean, I stand by this. It, it worked as a, as a sketch. But it... Um, but it um, and it was, it was fine. But it kind of did... Uh, yeah, it sort of overshadowed the rest of the show. It transpired in a way that we didn't think it would. We, d we mm. just thought, oh, that's quite funny. Um, we had to take it in turns to be naked as well because both of our girlfriends objected to us doing it. <laughs> so we went into the lose-lose scenario <laughs> of, us, of everyone. <laughs> everyone being upset with the whole thing. We had different flags, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> there you go. It's the specifics of comedy for you. <laughs> so... Um 
God, I was, I was, I had another question prepped, and that flag thing just completely took me out of it. Um, do you engage with the process of comedy criticism? Do you read your reviews? Are there are there specific pieces of criticism that you've found painful or difficult or well, accurate or inaccurate? Max has been very good this month in that he's not read any of the reviews, um, and I am far too needy. Uh, I've got a, a Google alert um, <laughs> that wow, emails okay. me. Well, thank you whenever, for admitting that. <laughs> whenever Max and Ivan comes up on the internet, no, I don't know. I just I. But it's funny because I, I love the show so much, and 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 if if there's a bad review, I'll go. Well, no, you're you're wrong. That's wrong. And then if there's a good review, I go. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I sort of had a stab at not reading them last year, but it kind of fell into it. But this year, yeah, just decided not to not to. Read. No one else's. No one else's reviews. I've no, no, no. I've, yeah, I've stopped reading any any reviews sure. really because it felt perverse to sort of sit there like a hawk and, and see what everyone else was getting mm-hmm. um but yeah because i came to the c- conclusion that none of the nothing said was going to affect the way i performed the show or what mm. i did in it and that it, i was basing my performance on the 25 previews that we'd done and the rehearsals and the writing process as opposed to the kind of judgments of, of mm. a series of writers so i just opted not to and also i yeah i i try not to not to get affected I think if you if you don't let yourself get affected by the bad ones, then you can't possibly allow yourself to get affected by the good ones either. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just need to compartmentalise it and kind of put it to one side. And I'm sure I'll read them all uh, when, when I get back from for, you know from Edinburgh and just see what was said. And also, that's not to say that I disagree. All right, champ. Uh, it's not to say that I disagree with reviews or I think you know critics serve a purpose and lots of them are phenomenally good. I think Steve Bennett is a is a very good com- analyst and and, mm-hmm. and the full time comedy reviewers. Most of them, yeah, they, it, it's great to have people who can contextualize comedy and put people's work, you know, chronologically and and, and analyze people's development and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, I have not read a word. Um, I'm just too curious. I don't know. I just I just have to know. And you know, it, much like if if someone said, "Oh, these people just said this about you," and would you want to know? I'd want to know. I'd want to know what they think, mm. even though okay. that might hurt my feelings. I'd, I'd, I'm really too curious. Um, and and, and I'm, I have nothing but admiration for people who can rise above it and, and, and go, no, I don't care. Sure. It's interesting, your two halves of the sort yeah. of the debate that I think <laughs> a lot of comics kind of deal with in their own minds go, am I going to or not? Um, sorry, that's the boring alarm, so we better spice this up. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's good to know. It's good to know. Um, I am going to uh, give the, op- the audience the opportunity to ask some questions. If you'd like, raise a hand and we can do that. Um, however, oh, I was going to say what normally happens is there's a bit of an eggy pause uh, while you think of them and then I'll, I'll cover in the meantime. But we have a question from the musical gentleman over there. That's a really good question. Uh, we, we're glossing over a lot of stuff here because we think people are familiar with the terminology, but I'll just ask that again for the sake of the recording. Um, you say you've done 25 or so previews. What are they? Who looks at them? Where do you do them? Well, uh, we didn't come to ask this question until we'd already booked them all in. Uh, so, so Parry gave us this big, you know, hell-raising speech about previews, 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 boys. And then, uh, and then we were like, yeah! And then we phoned up every theatre in the world and booked them all in. And then we're like, my God, who on earth is going to come to any of these? But somehow, people did. Yeah, our very first preview had about three people in it, um, which was uh, lovely. Um, but then... We... Surely it's, that's easier to cope with as a sketch act than it is, say, for a stand-up, do you think? 
Well, it's a, it's a because bit... you can sort of plug it in and play and just kind of go for the show. I guess. I mean, yeah, we can just keep our head down and just just go through it. But 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 during that period, you really want to see what what the audience go for and mm-hmm. what affects them. So in a way, you you really do. It would help if there were more. But um, we we were really lucky. Um, we've we've had some really lovely uh, London previews, and then we went further afield this year. We, um, because as it happens, we tend to run regular nights in London anyway, sort of throughout the year. So it wasn't an enormous stretch. I mean, we were certainly doing more than normal, but we were, uh, but we, yeah, but we had kind of people that would come to our shows regularly um, anyway. So it was just a question of, uh, of turning those shows into, yeah, kind of hour long, hour long previews. Sorry, just for the, uh, for the sake of recording. Um, do you look at that afterwards or do you have someone external do an analysis of it? I'll also add, do you ever record them and watch them back? Well, um, Tom Parry, our director, is become infamous for... He's never given us notes that were shorter than the hour itself. He's always, <laughs> okay. he's always given us a minimum of about 90 minutes of notes, which okay. raises the question, how can one make 90 minutes of mistakes in a 60-minute show? <laughs> but we've done it, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, so Tom will see the show um, a lot of times um, in the audience, and he'll give us notes on that. And we, um, we don't record the audio i know a lot of stand-up comedians will record it listen back to a it. a lot of them will record it um but not, no, not all back. of them will listen back to it yeah. <laughs> i tried i recorded one and then i i think we started to do it but i i just i don't know i just didn't enjoy it whatsoever but i also think that because there's two of us um as soon as we finish every single show we go this scene really worked. Um, we've completely messed up this. Um, mm-hmm. How do we work on this? And we just work our way through it. And I'll remember the bits that Max did wrong, and Max mm-hmm. will remember the things that I did wrong. Sure. So it did you have a clash well. with Tom? Did he ever give you feedback that you went, you had to dig your heels in? So when we got to Edinburgh, um, our show was running at about an hour and five minutes, an hour and six minutes, which is a complete transgression in edinburgh the edinburgh hour is essentially 55 minutes long really um and we've been so immersed in kind of making sure the show was structurally sound that we hadn't noticed that it was that it was the out that the length of time was creeping up because we were just adding little bits and pieces in so we got to edinburgh and suddenly it became a real pressing thing um and we had to cut at the start of the month about probably about eight minutes from the show. Mm-hmm. So the only time there was ever any, uh, any tension was wor- working out which bits to cut, because mm-hmm. obviously it's a, it's a very upsetting experience. And there were bits that we were fighting for um, and bits that had to go. But in the end, it was fun. Every, like, everyone got the bits that they wanted to stay in the show. What was, what was, the, bit, what was the bit that you most re- regret cutting or most missed from the show? Uh, weirdly, a, a scene in which um, Jessica wheels Brian away in a Zorb ball. <laughs> okay. That was, uh, it was an actual Zorb ball or a mime? Well, just Zorb a mimed okay. Zorb ball, yeah. But it was uh, got a big laugh and we loved it. Um, and it showed this relationship between Jessica and Brian. We, we felt that maybe we were losing. Um, it, it was a it was a scene in which um, Brian sticks up for Jessica when she's okay. being bullied. Um, so we felt that we maybe lost a bit sure. um, in that relationship. But I think I think I think the show works better for it. Now. Are there any are there any moments or were there any moments in the in the structure of the show, in the shape of it, where you sort of thought to yourself you thought to yourself, okay, this works in terms of the plot, but it's not funny enough. Or this is this bit's really funny, but it's confusing the plot or maybe in the wrong place. Because I imagine when you're telling a chronological story, you certain things have to be in certain places. 
Plenty. I, th- I think I, I'm, there are, I'm sure there are many, many instances of that, which, but they all kind of got wrinkled out in the, in the editing process. Because we did so many previews, we ended up redrafting the show a lot more than we've ever done previously. So we did about, I think, 10, 10 or 11 drafts of the, mm. of the script. And once you've got the show as, as an hour, that the, the is something that people can watch and generally enjoy. That's the point where you start forensically sitting, you know, staring okay. or squinting at the computer screen and going, no, 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 need two jokes here, two jokes here. And sometimes towards the end, you don't know what, you, you just know, you don't know, you don't know what the jokes are or what they're going to be about, but you just know you need something there, something to puncture, sure. puncture it there. And in, in those situations, just to look very specifically at the joke making process there, when you say to yourself, okay, that needs two jokes. Yeah. How are you finding the funny in those? How are you, are you brainstorming things? Are you improvising? How do you actually make the stuff? Or is it a case of, talking between you or what, what what can we see when two of you go right there's got to be a joke there it kind of depends who's saying it lots of the, lots of the characters in the show are quite fun to to muck around with and kind mm-hmm. of slip into character and start playing play, you know playing around and trying to come up with stuff that they might say so yeah lots of yeah lots of improv lots of sitting around lots of agonizingly mm. staring at the ceiling I think there's one scene um, in the show that we still would like a joke for. Sure. Um, and, and instead, we've, we've, we've settled on just a quick segue into the next scene. Okay. So we've, we've just gone swiftly from that into the next, and it, mm-hmm. and it kind of just pushes people along. And they probably don't notice that there should be a joke there, but there really should be a joke there. So if anyone comes along, you can tell us what that joke should be, and then we'll, we'll pop <laughs> it in the show. We'll get 70 different suggestions. <laughs> also, the points at which people shout out might be yeah. telling you. Might, Where's the joke? We were quite happy with that scene. No I'll, I'll uh, come to the audience for more questions in a moment. I wanted to ask a sort of a, a, a comedian's comedian classic question. What elements of your work do you feel, or what elements of sketch do you feel are kind of currently intangible? Are there things you see other people doing that you go, I wish we were a bit better than that, or we're aiming to one day be able to do this or that? It's a good question, this, because if you say nothing, you risk sounding arrogant. Oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> well, the, the, the comedian's... The uh, other performers that I th- I think are the most extraordinary um, aren't necessarily sketch comedians, aren't necessarily okay. people who we base our style off. But I I I'm, I was overawed and consistently am overawed at the, at the structure and the beauty of of Kitson's writing and the mm. way he expresses ideas with ex- such lyricism and then and then can express the polar opposite of that idea uh, and really, really get inside the head of an audience member. But For the benefit of non-comedy superfans, we're talking about Daniel Kitson, who's... The uh, wonderful yep. Daniel Kitson, yes, who, if you can ever find a ticket to one of his consistently sold-out, unadvertised shows, then do go along. Um, and then... Uh, Bo Burnham and Tim Key, who are two of the reasons why we pilloried so hard. That's the wrong, completely the wrong one. Don't know where that came from. Don't, <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. I've, 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 out, I've outdone myself. I <laughs> ran out of long words. Um, the reason we lobbied so hard for the Queen Dome, which is the venue that we're in, was because we saw Bo Burnham perform there, uh, his initial show, Words, 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 which was amazing. Uh, and Tim Key uh, in the Bath, the Master Slut show. Sure. Um, and that, yeah, just both the structure and... Uh, better than the alarm uh (laughs) the structure and the uh yeah the structure and kind of yeah quality of their of their writing like nothing in the hour is is wasted Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of amazing comedians that bring a different type of energy to the to their performance as well. Nick Helm, um, just just this constant barrage of of, mm-hmm. of anger and and sweat, which um, 
I, I don't think we, we would ever be able to do, but it's, it's just beautiful to watch. Um, and there's, yeah, there's so much out there that, that's inspiring, but I don't think we would ever want to necessarily do that. Sure. But it's definitely wonderful to watch. That's a great question. Is it essential for you guys to be live performers? Would you be happy? I'm sure you would be happy moving into uh, TV, radio, film maybe, but would, would you always want there to be a live component to your work? Well, I think the thing is we massively enjoy live performing and we take great pleasure in, in the process of writing and developing a show and then it's lovely to perform it. Um, and sometimes you get the sense that people are slightly transparently coming to Edinburgh, viewing it purely as a trade fair, which of course it is, um, but, but without, without any deep-seated love for the, for the, for the work mm. that, they're, that, they're, that they're doing. Um, we, we love working with the conventions of, of live shows and playing around with what can you do and what little tricks and, oh, he wasn't there. He was somewhere else all along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, given the opportunity, I think we'd love to play with conventions of radio and, and TV as well and, and explore what, what we can do with those things as well. So, but um, performing live uh, has been amazing. And, I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to give that up. Is there... Um for double acts and, and groups in particular, I think it's hard. One of the reasons why I'm a solo performer now, having been in a couple of double acts, is that I've, I, I, I suppose in some internal way I haven't really thought about, I feel like I can rely on myself, I'm not going to break up. Obviously, as stand-ups go, stand-ups frequently break up. <laughs> but, um, but have you thought to the future in terms of the longevity of the double act? Well, I mean, we've never... Lots of people seem to be really organized and have like five-year plans or 10-year plans or you know secret machinations and world domination ideas we've only ever had like a a, a vague idea of what we want to do that next you know in the immediate year um but as far as staying together i mean i remember we had a we had a conversation when we graduated from university we sat down and said right we are now adults apparently uh are we going to get real jobs or should we carry on doing this thing that we've really enjoyed doing and we both decided that nope this is it we're going to be we're going to continue writing we're going to continue performing that uh, you know we'll obviously we'll need to work but that everything will have to kind of be in service to this idea that we've got that we're going to be performers and i think it's safe to say in the time since we've been graduated it's it's gone far better than we could have possibly hoped yeah absolutely and we um we always said we are going to try and do something better every year than we have done the year before, mm-hmm. um, which uh, sounds quite like a, a simple thing to, to set out, um, but it's, it's, it's quite a lovely uh, objective to, to try and reach for. And it was, I think this was on, this was probably, possibly on Pappy's interview that they did with you, but it's very nice to hear them say that they sat down and decided that they wanted to work with each other Mm. for many years and they and they were very happy with mm. this idea i don't think either of us certainly neither of us are striving for our debut solo hours <laughs> not unless you write it <laughs> um, so yeah it's um, we like yeah we really really enjoy working together i think it you know it it, it always seems Im- implausible that that this could be like hey man love he's me best pal <laughs> I love him to be. Love you, man. Um, it seems implausible that this could be a job, uh, and we're de- you know delighted that that's that's the way it's. Yeah, when we spoke to you, when we spoke in Melbourne, you had mm. just you had you just given up your day jobs because yeah. you both had real yeah. jobs. You were writing for Esquire, and yep. you were making computer games. Something like that. Yeah. 
Is that, is that right? I was working for a game design studio. Okay. Uh, designing real life games, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, they were very, both, um, both places were very supportive of what we did. But it got to the point where um, I sat down with my boss and said, I'm going to Melbourne for a month. And he said, that sounds amazing. Um, are you also going to do Edinburgh? And I said, yes. And so that's two out of 12 months that I wouldn't be in the office. And he mm. said, yeah, I think it's time we, you know, we let you do your thing and uh, by all means come back and do some freelance work uh, when you're around, which is Great. lovely. Um, but yeah, they recognised that I couldn't really hang around and be shackled to the, the 10 to 6 uh, hours. <laughs> the <laughs> harrowing working life of a Farringdon-based real-life game designer. <laughs> I don't know how his constitution copes. <laughs> but is there, is there now presumably an imperative? Have you got a sort of a, a thing in mind where you go, okay, we have to con we've got to be able to make this much money from comedy? Well, there is the fear, yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and we're just kind of feeling our way through it, seeing how it goes. Um, have you got a sort of time limit in mind of just, we, we, we can try this for X amount of no, time before? I think, I think the, good, the, the really good thing was that the Melbourne... Uh, the Melbourne dates forced both of our hands and we were both mm. in exactly the same boat because we'd known you know it was getting more and more hellish and you know we were writing our shows between you know 8 p.m and 4 a.m and we were never seeing our girlfriends and we were kind of gradually sort of physically and mentally falling apart um um had melbourne not come around we'd have probably just continued sort of doing that and kind of grinding out these mm. the you know our day-to-day -day sort of the balance until it got totally unbearable so to have a moment where you had to it was clearly a fork in the road and it was either and then we had another conversation then the same way we did when we graduated we we're like okay well here it is do we go to melbourne which is completely outrageous offer that we've been given that we could never we you know we couldn't fund this ourselves do we go to the uh, travel to the other side of the planet mm -hmm. and perform comedy in a different continent for the first time ever or do we not do that and if we don't do that does that mean we're possibly not particularly into this whole uh, idea mm -hmm. so and then so yeah it came to the came to the point where we realized that there was no way in hell that we couldn't do that because mm -hmm. had we not gone to melbourne every time i you know ever heard anyone mention the word australia or bumped into mm -hmm. an australian person i'd have just felt a little bit a little bit of my soul fall off and that can happen anyway crumble. well i mean <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need any help jesus i'm holding on to what remnants i've got left uh, but yeah so we decided so yes we decided to do it and then and then from there we've just been pushing forward obstinately in the face of all logic i i find Just myself check your bank balance is my my yeah. advice i find myself always being jealous of double acts and sketch groups because you get to share it all with someone obviously you get half the money as well but you i thought it doubles if you're in a double yeah. <laughs> but oh you get God. you get to no. <laughs> quick get us out you get to share it with someone you get to share the journey with someone you get to share the literal car journeys with someone um and I find one of the... the Max most always falls asleep in the cars. Oh, Great company. Yeah. <laughs> Makes up for writing the show. Yeah. And, yeah, and something, <laughs> something uh, that you'll know I, sort of is a preoccupation of mine in doing these, uh, these interviews is the isolating effect of stand-up and how depressing and anxiety-ridden the life of a stand-up can be. Mm. Do you find that because you're... I mean, you seem to be happy, well-adjusted people enjoying working together. Is comedy filling some sort of void in your life are, are the pair of you filling a void in your life is there something motivating you to be performing comedy and with all the risks associated with that other than this is just a bloody good laugh well i mean 
you have to be obviously some sort of perennial show off to, to decide that this is your vocation in life. And it's very much an uphill, you know, battle to get to, to write a show and to get to Edinburgh and to be and to remain resolutely convinced that this is, in fact, your calling mm -hmm. uh, when it's such an unlikely profession to have. You know, there's obviously some sort of compulsion there. But um, I think it's I don't think it's I don't think it comes from any particularly unhealthy or, or dark place. Um I think it's just very enjoyable to do. Come on, say something juicy. Admit an addiction or something. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just have, yeah, it's just really lovely. And, um, and I've got a girlfriend who's, uh, who keeps me grounded. Um, and what a couple of dicks, honestly. <laughs> We're both in super long-term relationships and we just love doing it. Sorry, we're not addicted to drugs. And um, the drug of performing, guys. That's what we're addicted to. As punishment, to. I'm going to end the show there. <laughs> <laughs> no! um, we've, we've probably got time for one more question. Uh, if you could help uh, Max and Van from finishing this episode as I fade up the twiddly guitar music. What a marvellously phrased question. You can come again. Presumably, you're reading different subjects as undergraduates. How did you get together and know that you were going to be funny together? Well, um, we were reading subtly different subjects. If I was doing uh, straight and, up... And sorry if I could just interrupt. This is going to be the last question. So what, however you finish this answer is going to be really... That's going to be the calling card. It's, it better be poignant. Right. <laughs> uh, well, you can start, start sort of singing in a sort of harmonious way at the end. <laughs> Yeah, in a minute. Um, so we uh, we were in the yeah we we were reading subtly different subjects. Sivan was doing straight up drama and theatre studies. I was doing drama and creative writing. That well respected joint honours degree, legit degree, absolutely, <laughs> totally legit. Royal Holloway University of London. Um, we both got cast in the same show. Not that uh, not the horror Edinburgh thing, um, but another one. And I think we just sat around, like even in the audition. I think we started chatting about comedy for some reason, um, and. And we we planned to write um we planned to write a radio show together, which is the thing we ended up doing in sure. Edinburgh. Um, but you know, first year of university being what it is, it was a bit of a bleary haze of a few months. We didn't do that, but we did. Ivan did end up booking us in uh, to the Laughing Horse New Act of the Year competition, which we had no idea what it was. Um, and performing as the two characters, the Argentinian folk singing characters that, that Ivan came up with his, and then I added mine when I was off wrestling in Italy. Uh, we went off and did these uh, laughing horse gigs, and not having the slightest clue how comedy worked, uh, we were like, oh, they want us to do six minutes. So we wrote six minutes, and then we got through, and then we wrote another six minutes, uh, and then we got through again and wrote another six minutes. So we didn't realize that you could just quite literally do the same thing each time. <laughs> um, so we wrote quite a good six minutes. Then we wrote an amazingly good six minutes that I'm still very proud of, and then we completely burnt ourselves out and wrote <laughs> this baffling <laughs> series of nonsense. My girlfriend at the time was in the audience, first time she'd seen us perform. And uh, yeah, there was uh, my girlfriend's parents as well were in the audience. Um, we performed this this harrowing um, six or seven minutes of something. And as we walked off to silence, there was a woman who said um, to her friend, what the fuck was that? Oh. And on the basis of that, we decided that we'd work together for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You'll notice I've conspicuously not foraged into Max's past as a wrestler. That's a tale for another time. Uh, and there is some video footage of that available on YouTube. Um, so would you please join me in thanking Max in a van? Thanks, guys.
<laughs> so that was Max and Ivan. As I said, absolutely uh, lovely guys, as you can hear. Very intelligent, very, very funny. Do try and get to see their, their shows if you can. Uh, I don't know if they're going up to Edinburgh this year. I would, I would imagine that they're going up and smashing it again. Um, so look out for them. Uh, that's everything. Uh, come and see me in New Zealand. Come and see the recording with Kerry Marks. Look forward to Claudia O'Doherty next week. And that'll do us for now. Thank you to Sarah Grun for the Podmin. Uh, thank you for James Lowey and also to uh, Pete Jones for uh, their audio and visual help during the recording of that episode. Remember, youtube.com slash comcompod uh, for this and several of the other. I think we've got eight or nine videos on there now. A little 10-minute edited highlights reel if you'd like to see what we looked like. And also, those are a lovely thing. If you like the show, uh, then you can put them on people's Facebook pages and stuff like that and say, hey, look at this thing I'm into. Also, you can download an hour of it. That would be useful. Thank you so much for the donations. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you go to comedianscomedian.com, there's a PayPal button there you can click on and donate and support the podcast. Uh, I'm not going to hammer that every time. Uh, you know it's there. But uh, if you liked it, you know, a pound a show, why not? Or just a fiver. Not, well, a fiver a show would be lovely, but just, you know, a one-off thing, whatever you like. Golly. Right, next time, I'll do it written down. I won't look out the window. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, next week, Claudio Doherty, the last Edinburgh Fringe uh, pre-recorded show, and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening. Sorry about all the blurb. Bye. Bye. <laughs>